Today we begin a new series coming from the book of Ruth, which will take us over the course of the next seven weeks. I'm titled this series, Principles from Ruth, Things That We Can Learn in a Practical and Impactful Way. Today I want to preach from the subject, Consider Your Choice, found in the first five verses of the book of Ruth. Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament named after someone who is not an Israeli. It is a short story that lays some marvelous foundations for the coming Messiah and gives us hope during a time which was arguably one of the worst in Israel's history. Ruth is set during the period of Judges. The judges ruled for about 400 years before Israel had its king. This is the latter part of that 400-year period. And according to Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the nation was characterized by the statement, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges ends with a story that symbolized the depth of depravity that the nation of Israel had succumbed to, including idolatry, rape, murder, dismemberment, and genocide. Against this backdrop, Ruth begins with the time of famine in the land. We have a hard time understanding the fact that death waited around every harvest for many people every year. But that was the reality. Sometimes in facing reality, we make decisions to run from trouble and find ourselves running into trouble. We would have made a different choice, made a different decision if we knew then what we know now. Our text today helps us understand that if you design your own deliverance from the pressures in life, you may miss God's best, mess up someone's blessing, and make unnecessary burdens. Consider your choice. Let's look at the text. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Melan and Chilion. They were Ethrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her husband 
and her two sons. What a tragic way to begin a story. There are three things, beloved, that you and I need to consider before we design our own deliverance. The first in considering these things is that you may miss God's best. You may miss God's best. You may miss God's best. I want to call your attention to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The man's name is Elimelech. That name means in Hebrew, my God is king. Now, why for all that was his name? Maybe somebody had hopes and aspirations of him. It's nothing unusual for a person not to live up to their name. After all, many of us wear the name Christian, but we don't always act like Christ. But in any case, as the leader and provider for his family, he made a decision to make. He had a decision, rather, to make when famine came in Bethlehem. It's ironic that Bethlehem means house of bread, and Judah means praise, the house of bread and praise. He chose to leave to go to Moab. Let's look at this decision. It was a bad decision, first of all, socially. The Moabites, according to Numbers chapters 22 through 24, had hired Balaam to curse Israel, but God continually turned that curse into a blessing for them. This was a nation who we would describe today as haters. Why hang out socially with people who really don't mean you any good and could care less about your welfare. It was a bad decision spiritually. The Moabites worshipped Chemosh. He was their national god. According to Second Kings chapter 3, verse 26, Misha, who at that time was the king of Moab, offered his oldest son, who was to reign in his place as a human sacrifice to Chemosh. Bad decision to go to Moab. Elimelech left the land that God had given him and where God had promised to provide for him to go to a land of idol-worshiping enemies of God. He went to sojourn there, didn't intend to stay long. How do you handle as a godly man or woman who affirms that God is your king, life 
when the pressures and pain of life start caving in. Godly people refer to the word of God. In Leviticus chapter 26, God outlines blessings for obedience and discipline for disobedience. Part of that discipline included famine. Was God looking to kill him with famine as part of the discipline? No, I want you to look at it from the perspective that we are most familiar with. We're familiar with fasting. Fasting is when we intentionally deny ourselves food to afflict our souls for the purpose of drawing close to God. It's on man's part. It's on humanity's part. Famine, where there is no food, where people have a desire for food, was on God's part in an attempt to draw the people closer to him. You see, here's the first principle we need to gain in Ruth, and that is pain in our lives is an indication that God is working to draw us closer to him. Let me give you a biblical example, the life of Jonah. Jonah left going in the opposite direction from where God wanted him to be. Got thrown overboard, swallowed by a huge fish, and in the belly of the fish came to the realization that God was looking to draw him closer to himself. The widow of Zarephath, as recorded in 1 Kings, God told Elijah to go down there. I've commanded this widow to feed you. He finds her. She has, she's drawing water. He says, give me something to drink. She gives to him. He says, make me something to eat first. She says, all I have is a little oil and meal. I'm going to make a cake. Me and my son are going to eat it and then die. He said, make me mine first. She sees the miraculous hand of God to supply oil in abundance. The oil doesn't stop until she runs out of pots and the last pot is filled. Uh, the prophet tells her, go sell the oil. You and your son live off the rest. In that same chapter, chapter 17, later on, the son dies. She runs to the prophet in the midst of her pain and says, what have I done to you that this judgment should come upon me? Elijah pleads to God on her behalf for the life of the son, laying himself on the son's corpse three times, and his life is restored in him. When Elijah presents the widow's son to her alive, she says, now I know the miracle of the overflowing oil and food in abundance to live off, to pay her debts and live off the rest was not enough to convince her. See, sometimes God uses pain to draw us closer to him. It's kind of ironic that God would do that to bring about our greatest joy. But God's glory shines through the darkest situations greater 
than if everything is going well. We honestly don't know what would have happened if Eli Melech had stayed in Israel. But the point is that as God was drawing him closer through his pain, he would have experienced what God does best and showing himself mighty. But yet, in running from trouble, he found himself running into trouble. And it ultimately cost him his life. What kind of difficulties and pain are you experiencing? Are you dealing with them biblically? What character trait or discipleship goal is God looking to accomplish through the pain in your life? Consider, beloved, if you design your own deliverance, you may miss God's best. The next thing you should consider is you may mess up someone's blessing. You may mess up someone's blessing. You may mess up someone's blessing. Ruth chapter 1 verse 4. These took Moabite wives. These are the sons of Elimelech. I want you to notice that one of the results of Elimelech's decision to go to Moab was that he set a powerful negative example for his wife and sons. They followed his lead. First, they stayed in Moab. They didn't stay as foreigners. They went to sojourn there. They lived there 10 years. They became residents. They wanted to marry Moabite women. Naomi, as the head of the household, didn't stop these marriages as her role as head of the household now that Ailey Malek is dead. What would a person who affirms that God is my king do in a situation like this? We ought to care about what God says. God told them, don't intermarry. Let me hasten to say God is not opposed to interracial marriage. He's not opposed to marriages of different cultures or ethnic groups. Why then would God forbid them to marry Moabite wives? The Bible tells us, and if they had consulted what God said, they would have known. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. The word of God says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. That's why. God affirmed the power of love from a woman to be able to turn a godly man's heart from serving the one true God to following gods of her fathers. King Solomon is an example. His wives turned his heart from following God completely and introduced idol worship in the nation of Israel. 
Here's another principle in Ruth. What you allow in moderation, your children will excuse in excess. Beloved, what you allow in moderation, your children will excuse in excess. Parents, what kind of example are you setting for your children? Do you say one thing and practice another? If you're not a parent, what kind of example are you setting on how you handle the problems and pressures of life? The world looks at the church to see if God really can help. God's honor is at stake by how you handle difficulty in the eyes of others. The great lie that we sometimes believe is that our sin only hurts us. Satan will help you make good arguments about your negative behavior, but the truth about sin is this. Sin will carry you further than you want it to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want it to stay. Sin will cost you more than you want it to pay. Sure, everyone is responsible for his own sin, but you may be too. You may be responsible for messing up someone else's blessing. Let's see what Jesus had to say about it. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow. Be better to have a millstone. A picture's worth a thousand words. That smaller stone is a millstone. It was used for grinding wheat. It was used for grinding grain. It was used for crushing olives. They would take an ox and have it attached to it, and he would walk around in that circle and grind whatever needed to be ground. Jesus says, if you mess up someone's blessing, would have been better if that were tied around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Before you design your own deliverance, consider you may miss God's best. You may mess up someone's blessing. And the third thing you need to consider is you may make unnecessary burdens. You may make unnecessary burdens. You may make unnecessary burdens. I suppose the question might be, is there any such thing as a necessary burden? Yes, there is. Necessary burdens are burdens that we encounter for doing what's right and godly. Unnecessary burdens are burdens that we don't have to encounter. Let me show it to you in the text of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 5. After Malon and Chilion died, it says, So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband.
The last verse of this passage paints a bleak picture for Naomi. Naomi, her name in Hebrew means pleasant, but none of her circumstances have been pleasant. She has buried her husband. She has buried her sons, and she's buried them in a pagan land. She's old and alone. Women depended on the men in their lives to provide for them. This word left was used to describe people who often survived the judgment of God with scars. She was destitute. No life insurance policy, no social security, no welfare, no government system. As women relied on the men in their lives to provide for them, the reality now is she's too old to work, too old to remarry, too old to go back to her father's house. She was at the lowest point. No family support system. All this was brought about by poor response to a painful situation. I don't know, sometimes we get so caught up in looking and thinking the grass is green or greener on the other side. And we desire when it looks like those who don't try to follow the ways of God, those who don't practice righteousness, seem to prosper on every hand. You're in good biblical company. Asaph felt the same way. He says, my feet almost slipped when I became jealous and envious and wanted to be like him. But then in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17, he says, but when I thought how to understand it, it seemed to be so wearisome for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Beloved, sometimes in the midst of the stuff that we face, the desire to have what others have and miss out on an opportunity to experience God can drive us to make unnecessary burdens. The clear teaching of scripture is that God's way is best. Every person will come to that conclusion. Some will come to that conclusion that God's way is best because they have encountered the blessings from God when obeying him. Others will come to that same conclusion through the unnecessary burdens they have borne by doing it their own way to recognize I would have been better off if I had done it God's way. That's the clear teaching of scripture. Even though other ways may look good, they are not. We must be men and women of faith believing what God says, doing what God requires, trusting and resting in the promises of God. Trust God. 
trust that his counsel is the wisest and best way, then follow him. When you're at the lowest point and there's no way to go but up, you have to decide that you want it. Small decisions are just as important as big decisions. In fact, even more important to avoiding unnecessary burdens as big decisions. Perhaps I'm talking to someone today who may be at their lowest point and there's no way to go but up. Then let your lowest point drive you to your knees in submission to God so that you don't miss his best. You don't mess up someone's blessing and you don't make unnecessary burdens. It's as simple as saying, I surrender all, all to Jesus, 